This year, I am focused on saving and investing, but I still want to do things like travel. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side-by-side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending, which means you could end up with a free flight or maybe a better hotel room. So what could future you do with smarter financial decisions? Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. They've got everything you need to know about the listing itself, but even better. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools. And their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Hello and welcome to Happier. As the Partridge family would say, come on, get happy. This week we'll talk about a super basic strategy for fighting clutter and the happiness stumbling block of impulse buying. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister Elizabeth Kraft, who I thought would be here in the studio in New York City with me today, but alas, she's not. My trip was canceled. As often happens in television, you know, things changed, and it turned out it was more important for me to be in L.A. working here than to be in New York working there. So um, although I didn't have to deal with the airport, which is always nice, I also did not get to see you and Henry in the studio today. I know. That's too bad, but we will carry on anyway. (laughs) And this week, our try this at home tip is a very simple tip, but it's surprisingly powerful, I've found in my own life. And that is to take one thing with you. And what does that mean, Gretch? So I got this tip from a good friend of mine because she knows um, that I am on this constant quest for any tips for how to keep on top of clutter because clearing clutter is just one of these things that you have to do constantly. And so I'm always looking for the new angle. And so she proposed this for me and I have tried it and it really works, which is whenever you're going from one room to another, you take one thing with you and you're not necessarily going to take that thing to its final destination. You're not, you're not pledging to put it away. You're just moving it closer. You're just taking it from one room and moving it further on its way. Moving the ball down the field, a sports fan might say. Yes. So say I'm in my office and I have a empty coffee mug there, which I always do. So I might be going to the bedroom. 
So I would take it to the bedroom because the bedroom is closer to the kitchen than my office is. So I'm moving it closer to its ultimate destination, which is the dishwasher. But I'm not I'm not saying when I pick up that mug, oh, I'm going to go put it in the dishwasher now. Because if I think that, then I'm not even going to move it because I'm like, eh, I don't want to go to the kitchen right now. I'm just going to my bedroom. But if I just move it to the bedroom, then the next time I go to the bedroom, it's just that much closer. And weirdly, it doesn't seem like this would make that much of a difference. But actually getting in that habit of always looking around and saying, well, what's one thing I can take with me and get it closer to its destination? Over time, it really means that things stay picked up much better. Yeah, you know, Gretchen, picking stuff up is a particular challenge of mine. Um, You're all very familiar with that. Um, And I will say, having heard about this, try this at home from you, I actually just this morning, I had my dressy coat was out, like splayed out on the couch where I dropped it after I came home last night. And I picked it up and moved it to the bedroom as I went to the bedroom and put it on my bed. So I didn't get it all the way to the closet, much less hung up, but at least I got it closer to the closet. So this is already helping me. But and the thing is, what what turns out is that then when you're at your closet or you're in your bedroom, you'll be like, oh, man, I got to get that off my bed. And you'll just go and put it away. But like to say like, oh, now I'm going to pick up my coat and take it all the way to my bedroom closet. It just it just feels like too much work. And so you just leave it where it was. And like a lot of things that I found about clutter, first of all, it's weird the degree to which for most people, outer order contributes to inner calm. And so it seems like who cares if you leave your dressy coat out? It doesn't really matter. And of course, it doesn't really matter. But it starts weighing you down and just sort of making you feel like everything is just out of order and you have too much to do and you feel overwhelmed. At least that's how, how it makes me feel. And so it helps because there's this constant influx of clutter. If you find these little ways to stay on top of it so that you don't have to spend like two hours Like, oh, we're having company. I have to spend two hours picking everything up, doing all these little tiny tasks. If you can figure out a way to do it little by little, just as part of your ordinary day where it doesn't take any extra time, energy, or money, then it just gets done much more easily. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing is, small as it may be, it's still a little accomplishment, you know? Getting that coat to my bed, I was like, okay, I've, you know, I've, I've gotten it closer to my closet. So good on me. Yeah. You know? No, and I love that feeling like sometimes I'll, I'll care. I, I feel like I spend like half my life moving books around and shelving them and <laughs> reshelving them and putting library books on the shelf and returning library books and like, oh, you know, anyway. Um, and again, like just moving them from here to here to here to here. And then they finally get put away and I'm, it just feels so good. But if I was really going to run around at every minute and actually put them away, I never would do it because it's just too much trouble to, you know, like, oh, my gosh, here's my copy of what Katie did. And I've got to go put it on the shelf and where all my children's books are. I'm like, eh, I'm not going to bother. But if I just have to move it to the dining room, um, which is just that much closer to where um, my shelf is, then it gets done. So it's interesting. This is one of those really small and specific try this at home tips that I predict people will actually really enjoy. Well, and I mean, I think this is you make a good point, which is that sometimes things just sound ridiculously trivial. You know, you're like, oh, my gosh, like in the context of a happy life, is this what we're talking about? Like, shouldn't we be talking about more transcendent matters and, you know, really deep things that but that, you know, sometimes it's just these little hacks that are very satisfying, you know, that solve a very small problem. 
that really that really do give you that little boost. But uh, I agree. It's like it's not the it's not the most important thing you could do to make your life happier, but it could help. It will help me. That's for sure. Um, so thank you, Jen, for that tip, because as simple as it sounds, it really is something that um, has boosted my happiness. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Elizabeth, I got the Flow Knit Wide Leg Pant. It's very light. It's perfect for the summer. It packs very easily. I recently went on a trip with my family, and I took it with me, and they were just the thing to wear on a really hot day where I wanted to be covered up, but I wanted something that looked great and also was very comfortable. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash Gretchen for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Gretchen to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash Gretchen. So Gretchen, today we're going to talk about something that a lot of people can relate to, which is impulse buying. It's definitely a big happiness stumbling block. And to start our conversation, let's hear from Carrie in Sex in the City. Where did all my money go? I know I made some. Uh, at 400 bucks a pop, how many of these do you have? 50? Come on. 100? Would that be wrong? 100 times 400. There's your damn payment. Well, that's only 4000 No, it's 40000 <gasps> I spent $40,000 on shoes and I have no place to live? I will literally be the old woman who lived in her shoes. So, Gretch, impulse buying is bad, obviously, because if you spend money on things that you really don't need or didn't plan to buy that you then regret buying it takes away from what you really want to buy. Like in Carrie's case, she couldn't buy her apartment because she had so many shoes. No, exactly. Because because when we plan ahead for, some, for something, we tend to like think carefully and make trade-offs and know exactly what we want. And when we do something impulsively, a lot of times later on, we regret it. And for a happy life, what we want is not the things that give us that momentary shot of pleasure, but something that really over the long run are going to give us the greatest satisfaction. So that you, exactly as you said, you have the money to buy the things that you really want over the long haul. And so what you want to do is fight the impulsiveness of the buying. Ah, so or do you have specific tips for how to do that? So in Better Than Before, my book about habit change, I talk about the strategies that you can use to make or break your habits. And there is one strategy that is super effective if you're trying to control impulse buying. And that is the strategy of inconvenience. Ah. It turns out that when we're trying to make ourselves do something or not do, do something, we're enormously influenced just by how convenient or inconvenient something is. To kind of a crazy degree, We'll do something if it's slightly more convenient and not do something if it's slightly less convenient. And so one of the ways to tackle buying is you make it as inconvenient as possible. So what are some of the things we can do to make 
shopping or buying things less convenient. Well, the funny thing is, of course, if you look at what merchants do, they do everything they possibly can to make it as easy and convenient to buy as possible. So basically, you want to like sort of do the opposite. Say, what are they making it easy? How are they making it easier and easier for me to buy? And how can I thwart that? So like, let's say that you're an impulse buyer online. A lot mm, of people, yes. you know, it's late at night, click, 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 and you end, end up buying a bunch of stuff that later on you're like, what was I thinking? Um, so what, what a good thing to do is to disable one-click shopping. Always shop as a guest. Ooh. And that, that means do not have it on bookmark. Don't have your, your credit card information, your address and everything in there. Every single time you have to type in every little bit of information in order to make a purchase. That will make it much less convenient to buy. Yeah, I will say there have been many times when I'm gonna, I was going to buy something online and then I clicked to the page where I have to insert all my information and I just said, oh, forget it. I don't really want it that bad. Right? No, it's, it's yeah. really true. And, and, uh, and when you're in person, same thing, don't take a basket or a cart. Ah. If you're only planning to buy a few items, don't take a basket or a cart because they have them there to encourage you to be able to effortlessly add more and more and more things to your pile. So so if you have to actually carry something around, you're going to be much less likely to take it. Yes. And I know another thing you advise is to get in and out of the store quickly. Yeah. The more time you spend in there, um, the more likely you are to buy a bunch of stuff. And here's another thing um, related to like the, how, how you go into the store. Interestingly, for women... If they spend, they they buy the least if they shop with a man. Mm. They are less. They, they buy less when they shop with men than when they do when they shop alone or with another woman or even with children. Oh, really? I was going to say a child is the best way uh, <laughs> to not shop because they do not want to be there. Right. Well, maybe they encourage you to buy stuff on their own. I don't know. I was surprised by that, too. But that's that's the research that I've read. Um, yeah, it's funny. I will say, though, on the child front, take like if you take a child to a toy store or anywhere where there's toys, that is the case of the every second longer <laughs> they have in the store, the more they find that they want. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, okay, absolutely. and then what do you do? What Make a list. That seems smart. That's also smart on the grocery front. If you're trying to like not buy donuts and cookies and all of that, they always say make a list and only get what's on your list. I guess that applies to all things. Right. And and here's a good kind of uh, wrinkle on that. So let's say let's say you get in there and, and you're like, oh, but this thing isn't on my list, but I really need it. And, and so I should get it. Okay. So you have to finish your shopping, complete everything, and then go back for that thing if you want it. So you don't add it to your pile immediately. You have to say to yourself, okay, if I really want that, I'm going to go, I'm going to finish everything else on my list, and then I have to go back for this additional item. Because a lot of times you're like, eh, man, by the time you're like done with your shopping and you're ready to check out, you're like, okay, whatever. I, I thought I wanted it, but I don't actually really want it that badly because it would mean a whole like going back into the bowels mm -hmm. of the store to fetch it. That is so true. Well, and here's an interesting thing where people really differ, and that is whether if you're trying to fight impulse buying, whether you're better off using cash or whether you're better off using credit cards. And I've, I've heard different arguments from different people. So some people think you should use cash because they're like, well, when you see the money leaving your hands, it feels like real money. Like you feel that pain, which is why like if you go, if you're like at a casino, it's like fake money because it's easier to let it go out of your hands because it's not like real money that feels powerful. And so some people, if they have to use cash, they're less likely. 
Um, but then other people have told me they're better off with credit cards because the thing about a credit card is you get a record of every single thing that you spend. And so mm, some people so you're are faced with the damage you've done. Right. And so some people say, well, if it's cash, I just buy. And then it's like, ooh, who, who can remember where my I spent $70? But I mean, I have no idea what I spent it on. But if it's a credit card, then they look at it and they're like, oh, my gosh, look at the stuff that I spent it on. And so I think this is one of these 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 examples where you really have to think about, well, what's true for you? Just because somebody says, oh, well, you should, you know, chop up your credit cards and that's going to be the answer. Well, that might that might actually make it easier, easier for you to impulse buy. So you want to think carefully about what situations makes you feel the most thoughtful when you're spending. I do think one thing people seem to agree on, though, is to have as few credit cards as possible so that you know, you're not dispersing what you buy over a lot of credit cards. So when that bill comes, yes. you really do see everything you bought. Well, that's a very good point. Because if you only see it, if you just see a few items, you're like, yeah, I didn't spend that much money. But you're like, oh, then another, then another, then another bill. It's all about this. Mon so and that's the strategy of monitoring. That's another habit change strategy. The more we monitor something, the better we job we tend to do managing it. And so the more closely you're aware of what you are, um, you're doing. So you're exactly right by dispersing it over a lot of credit cards. You give yourself a lot of leeway not to realize. But when you see that long, 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 you know, page after page after page of the credit card statement, you're like, oh, man, I see what I did here. Now, Gretch, I have a question for you in this topic of impulse buying, which is given that you are such an underbuyer, do you think you could actually benefit from more impulse buying? Because you, I would say, are the opposite of an impulse buyer. You have to be forced to buy anything. That's an excellent point. And I and I think for an underbuyer, it doesn't really feel like impulse buying, but it's sort of like if you see something that you know that you will need, you should go ahead and buy it. So it's like forced purchase. Like, you know, if I'm in a drugstore, I should say, or like I'm walking by a drugstore, I should think, oh, do I need toothpaste? Do I need shampoo? Yes, I should go in and buy it. It's it's like the opposite of the problem of impulse. It's like the impulse not to buy. So yeah, for someone who's an underbuyer, it's that you almost need mechanisms that will make it easier to buy. Yeah, because I don't think you're going to be the person who's at the checkout line and goes, oh, look at this, a magic eight ball. I remember this <laughs> from my childhood. I'm going to pick this up. Yeah. You know, you're not going to do that. So you're really not in danger of buying things that you don't need. No, I'm more in danger of running out of toilet paper. That's the danger I right. face. <laughs> We've discussed that. And by the way, you know that $40,000 that Carrie spent on shoes? Well, that was in 2002. And today... That $40,000 would be worth $53,000. Wow. So pay attention to impulse buying. Uh, it can really add up. Gretch, it is time for a listener question. This week's question comes from someone calling herself N. The question I want to ask is that I don't really have much to complain about in life. I have a good job, great husband, and two adorable boys. I have a lot to be grateful for, and I am, but I still can't call myself a happy person. Is happiness a hereditary thing? Why do you think I'm not happy? Interesting. Um, you know, Gretchen, you talked about this question of sort of genetic happiness when you were on Oprah recently, when you were on Super Soul Sunday. I'll give it a plug on the own network. And you sat down with Oprah to discuss uh, the happiness project and better than before. Um, and what were you saying about it? 
Yeah, no, the thing is, happiness is, uh, to a very large extent, hardwired. It, research suggests that about 50% of happiness is genetically determined. And then about 10 to 20% is something called life circumstances. That's things like age, health, education, income, marital status, occupation. And then all the rest is very much influenced by the way that we think and the way that we act. And that's where our really our conscious thoughts and actions influence our happiness. All right. So, Gretch, given that Anne has, you know, whatever base level of happiness she has, there's nothing she can do about. Um, but she still wants to try to control that other percentage that she can do something about. I'm wondering, is there a chance that she's not being honest with herself about certain elements of her life? For instance, her job, whether I don't know if she's a stay at home mom or she works outside the home, but is there a chance that she doesn't like what she's doing? And so it's making her unhappy, but she's not admitting that to herself or, you know, something along those lines. Right. Like she describes it as a good job and a good job. You can have a good job that you hate. Right. Um, or maybe it's a good job that you love. Right. Yeah. I think that's a really important question. And it has to do with uh, self-knowledge and really being in touch with how how you actually feel about things. Because I think it's so easy for us to think, well, I should be happy. Other people would love to do this. This is what this is what other people expect from me. Or doesn't wouldn't everybody be happy in this situation and lose track of what actually is true for you? Because say with a job, a lot of times a job that other people would kill for. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the job that's going to make you happy. Or, you know, and then sometimes weird things like really have a terrible pervasive effect, like commuting. It turns out that a bad commute is something that makes people feel lousy every single day. People don't adjust to it. So you could have a basically a great life and a horrible commute, and that could really cast a shadow over everything. And so you really have to sit down and analyze it. Um, I mean, one thing about thinking about how heredity affect, it, it lines up with the other parts of, of happiness is I think that everybody has kind of a natural range. And so your range might be four to seven, and someone else's range might be seven to ten. Um, and maybe this person's natural range is just sort of lo on the lower end of the scale, but she can do whatever she can to make sure she's pushing herself up to the top of her natural range instead of allowing herself to drift down to the bottom of her natural range. So even somebody who's, who's not really going to go to 10, um, you know, if their natural top is 7, you want to be near 7 as much as you can be. And that's when I think exactly what you're talking about comes into play, which is really thinking about, given my inborn nature and given my circumstances, Am I doing everything that I can to make myself as happy as I can be, given who I am and given my circumstances? Yeah, and it goes without saying that for some people, uh, it's impossible to do that on your own. So, you know, I also say never hesitate to see a therapist if you think it would help to sort of understand your circumstance and what would make you happier in your life. No, exactly. And if you feel like everything should be great. And yet I feel terrible and lousy. And, you know, it, it is, it's definitely something worth thinking about is like, do you need to have more help? But then sometimes people just sort of feel like, I'm just, you know, I want to be happier than I am. Yeah. I mean, that's what led to you writing the happiness project. Yes, exactly. Is thinking, um, you know, what can I do within my normal everyday life and my conscious thoughts and actions that can make me happier? 
it's definitely worth thinking about. Because for a lot of us, there's low-hanging fruit. There's stuff that we can do that's going to make us happier. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And, you know, Elizabeth, I now work with a team and hiring the right people is so important. It's maybe the most important thing. And LinkedIn makes the process of identifying and hiring people easy and intuitive. I know that when I've been hiring for my team, it's hard to find quality candidates to interview. And LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, Gretchen, it is time for a happiness demerit, and you are the person who is going to be delivering that demerit. What is it? Uh, it yeah, and it's 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 about, well, I'm, I'm saying that it's Barnaby related. And I think it is Barnaby related. Um, so since we got our puppy Barnaby a couple months ago, I haven't been going to my kind of cardio gym. I do still do the strength training that you and I do every week. Um, and, I, and I do a yoga class. So I'm doing some exercise. But usually my habit is to go to the gym and do, you know, like uh, the bike and stuff like that um, a couple times a week. And I have not done it at all since we got Barnaby. Ooh, this is so unlike you. I can't, I'm, I'm blown <laughs> away right now. Um, well, this is also, it's kind of like physician heal thyself because like here I wrote this whole book about habits. And so I know what I should do because something happened. I have a clean slate, which is that I have had a, a transition, a major transition. I have this new relationship with a puppy. My schedule has changed. And what I need to do is sit down and think about why is this not working? What has changed? And how do I reshape my habit so that it can work given that we have this new puppy? And I just have not done that. I have not sat down to analyze it, to think, why am I not going? And what do I need to wrap my mind around in order to go? And are you going to do that? Yes, I am going to do that because I do feel like it's very, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I'm a huge believer in the importance of exercise, mostly for mental health. And also just, I, I, I don't know, it's a TV writer. I mean, you've got your treadmill desk. Just in order to be able to be a writer and sit in a desk, you need to get exercise or you just get so restless. That's, that's one of my problems. Yeah. But you know, as, I, as I'm sitting here talking to you in this very moment, yeah. I'm realizing that I think one of the issues now that we have Barnaby is that my gym is slightly too far away. Because it used to be really convenient to where my daughters go to school, but now I think I need to go to a gym that's convenient to our apartment. And that's a big difference. Is that because you walk Barnaby to school and therefore you can't go straight to the gym? Yeah, I can't go straight to the gym. And so now I think it just feels too far away to come back all the way back home and then go all the way back to the gym. I think what I need to do, and you know, my, my, uh, my whatever, my contract or whatever, my lease my gym lease, whatever it's called, is coming yeah. is coming up. I need to renew. I think ah. I'm going to switch gyms. 
This could do it. All right, problem solved. Well, I love it. I don't know if it's solved. Uh, hold me accountable. Even an upholder like me needs to be held accountable. I'm a natural couch potato. I, that is what I'm always up against, but I'm going to use my habits. Okay. Yes. Okay. You've helped me. We're going to have an update on this. Gold star to you, okay. Elizabeth, for helping me with my, with my issue. Okay. But now let's hear your gold star. My gold star goes to my sister-in-law, Michelle, because she hosted Thanksgiving last week. And I just, first of all, it's always wonderful when she hosts Thanksgiving or, you know, when, when anyone does, frankly, I'm so <laughs> grateful, but it's sort of become a tradition. Um, and I just really appreciate one, you know, knowing where we're going and it's always fun and warm and delicious and all of that. But I also really appreciate that she doesn't make me feel guilty for not bringing a dish that would be very helpful, you know, like the mashed potatoes or the stuffing or, <laughs> uh, you know, something like that. She knows me. She knows I don't cook. She knows Adam doesn't cook. And it's never this feeling of like, oh, well, here come Liz and Adam once again, having cooked nothing. Instead, she, you know, gives me things to bring that she knows I can accomplish, <laughs> like rolls, salad, and she doesn't mind that I buy the salad. I don't even make salad um and wine um and so it's just a nice thing to feel like i'm like i if another person could make me feel bad for being who i am and she does not make me feel bad for who i am so i just want to give her a gold star for that that's excellent that's excellent because she's recognizing what you have to bring like what you can what you can offer right. that's excellent and what i can't offer we're not the ones who are going to be bringing the mashed potatoes. So gold star to the people who are the excellent, generous hosts. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Now, in a few weeks, we're going to be doing a roundup of the four tendencies. We did our four special episodes on each of the four tendencies, and we've had so much response, so many fascinating comments and questions that we're going to do a special roundup episode. And we have a few additional questions to offer for you, things we would love for you to weigh in on the four tendencies uh, for that, that episode. Um, so can you think of some famous examples, whether it's in real life or in literature or in movies or whatever, of the four tendencies? Uh, for example, Andre Agassi is a famous obliger. It's great to hear about whether you like your tendency. What is your tendency and how do you feel about it? Do you like it? Do you not like it? I'd be particularly interested to hear from any obligers who are experiencing obliger rebellion or obligers paired with rebels. Tell me how that works for you. These are things that I've been pondering and that keep coming up in the responses that we've been getting from listeners. So get in touch. Thanks, as always, to our producer, Henry Malofsky. Also, thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Please get in touch with us. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. If you want our contact information, images, links, or anything related to this episode or any other, other episode, go to happiercast.com slash 41. Also, if you want to sign up for my free newsletter and also get a free chapter of my book, Better Than Before, you can sign up at happiercast.com slash free chapter. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward. Hello world, here's a song that we're singing. 
Just 